This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. Hello, I'm Anita Arnand and thank you for downloading BBC Radio 4's Any Answers, the sister programme to Any Questions. Good afternoon, welcome to Any Answers. Uh, let's talk about transport policy this afternoon. Has it gone completely off the rails? Timetable changes, fare hikes, delays. I'd love to hear your experience of rail travel. If you're a commuter, if you work on the network, do give us a call. And if you have an idea of how to fix things, uh, even better. We can talk about vaping. Is it time to make it easier to vape in in public places, in restaurants, in pubs? Would it save lives? Uh, We can talk about housing. Should we build on Greenbelt land to provide for urgently needing needed housing stock. Uh, and we can talk about A-levels. Are they passing muster, in your opinion? And Jeremy Corbyn's troubles uh, this week. Um, you will remember, it sort of came up a bit last week, uh, he faced fresh questions uh, this week about a 2014 conference where he was pictured with a wreath near memorials uh, to those who died uh, in a Palestinian group, um, which was said to have killed 11 hostages from the Israeli Olympic team and a West German police officer during the 1972 Summer Games. He was asked to apologise. He said, no, I don't have anything to apologise. I was there to try and promote peace in the Middle East. This afternoon, you've just heard in the news that uh, Jim Sheridan, the former Labour MP, has been suspended by the party for comments he has made on social media about the Jewish community. Um Your thoughts on all of this? Let's start with that, because that is the subject we have most calls on this afternoon. Howard Dare is our first caller, uh, calling us from Carnarvon. Hello. Hello, it's actually Carnarvonshire. I beg your pardon. Hello. Hi. Hi, what did you want to say? Well, um, I voted Labour for more than 30 years. Um, I... Um, went to university in Essex in 1970 and I had lifelong friends from there and two years ago they were talking about Israelis as being Nazis on Facebook and about an apartheid state and I indicated just how distressed that made made me feel. I'm a secular Jew, I don't practice and I never even thought about my Jewishness really until quite recently but uh, I ended up being unfriended in fact one of my closest friends um, whose father relieved a concentration camp I think it was Belson I said to him um, on Facebook I don't think his father would be very pleased with him for comparing the Israelis that's a democratic government trying to do its best with the excesses that he he came across in Belson and he accused me of um, besmirching his father's war record which is totally untrue Um, and all but two of my university friends who had been very close friends since 1970, unfriended me. I feel very unsafe in this country. You feel unsafe? Yes, I do. The question that is often asked um, these days is, is it possible to be critical of Israel um, and not be accused of being anti-Semitic? It's very possible to be critical of Israel if you're fair in that criticism. And when you look at what Hamas does to its own people and when you look at 
um, the way things um, are, are being stirred up in Gaza, um, then to um, to just focus on um, the results of the Israelis defending themselves, um, I think is somewhat unfair. I'd like to see everything to be peaceful there. Mm. Um, and I think criticising Israel is absolutely fine, but it needs to be totally fair. If you've got a regime that wherever there's any dissent, they murder their people, there's one Hamas leader whose nickname reflects the number of his people he's torn apart with his bare hands. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know who that is that, that you're you're talking about. But I, let, let's bring Abe Hyam in on this as well, who's calling us from Edgeware. Abe, um, first of all, just on that uh, last comment that Howard uh, made um, about not feeling safe these yes. days. Uh, okay, the name's Abe Hyam, and yeah. uh, this is a typical thing of uh, that that has been whipped up in the Jewish media and the press uh, to make Jews feel, uh, you know, unsafe here, which in fact is totally wrong because in, the Jewish community in Britain is one of the safest communities. It is very prominent. It, it's allowed to, to carry on with all its activities. Uh, they're Jewish members of parliament. You know, it's never been safer to be a Jew than now in Britain. But there's a lot of hysteria being whipped up over this uh, whole issue of anti-Semitism. And it's all to do with Jeremy Corbyn uh, being the uh, leader of the Labour Party. And uh, because of his uh, history of uh, support for the Palestinian cause and uh, for international law and human rights, he is the target of attack to be removed because he is seen as a threat to, uh, uh, you know, the stability of... of, um, uh, uh, the Labour Party. And in fact, it's just the opposite. The IHRA definition is actually a working definition. And even its author, uh, Kenneth Stern, who comes from the American Jewish Committee, said it was devised just to uh, create reports on uh, uh, anti-Semitism in, uh, just in general on different subjects. It was a working definition, mm-hmm. never intended to be used as, used as a definitive uh, a definition. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've heard, though, from Jeremy Corbyn and other prominent members of the Labour Party who have said, look, they're, they're, we have faced a problem of anti-Semitism in the party. They have acknowledged it. You've had a, a person who's been suspended, Jim Sheridan, suspended this very afternoon uh, because of comments that he's made. Well, I don't know what he's made, but there have been but- mass uh, expulsions. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're trying to say that uh, Corbyn isn't doing anything about anti-Semitism. There have been many people who have wrongly been expelled from the Labour Party who are really actually anti-racists, who are Jewish themselves, who oppose what is going on in Israel and who support the Palestinian cause. I, I'm Jewish myself. I belong to uh, uh, the Labour Party. I belong to Jewish Voice for Labour, mm-hmm. which is a group that is intended to create democracy and open discussion on the whole issue of Palestine, who supports anti-racism of all kinds. But when you, heard, when, when you heard Howard speaking, who said he too had been a supporter of the Labour Party for 30 years, and he felt unsafe, and he was talking about his own experience of, of 
people that he once regarded as friends sort of washing their hands of him. What do you say to him? No, that's very sad because, I mean, there, there are all sorts of mad things on, on, on the media. I myself as a Jew have been called a self-hating Jew. I've experienced the really sort of vicious anti-Semitism. I've been called a capo. I've been called anti-Semitic merely in discussions on anti-Semitism and discussions on Israel. The whole issue is that this definition mm -hmm. is actually a working definition. It's, there are many things that are wrong with it. Okay. It actually prevents free discussion, and even it's had a, a, a very well-known Jewish judges. Hugh, uh, uh, Stephen Sedgley has yeah. said that it, it stands but, but also, on but, I mean, we, of speech. But we also should say the British Board of Deputies and, and a great number of Jewish organisations have thrown their weight entirely behind that definition Yes, but as many well. Jewish organisations have actually opposed this definition. Mm -hmm. uh, don't forget that the Jewish Board of Deputies uh, is, uh, represents the establishment uh, of, of, of uh, the Jewish community and does not represent all Jewish voices. Okay, all right, Abe. Th th thank you. Let's, we've got lots of calls on this. I'm very happy to hear from you. 0300 100 444 is the number. Diane Saunders is calling us from Leeds. Good afternoon, Diane. Good afternoon, Anita. Hi, what did you want to say? I want to shift the, the argument on a bit. I want to ask Jeremy Corbyn if he's a man of peace and will speak to people he doesn't agree with why he never speaks to Israel. Despite invitations to the Israeli Labour Party, the Israeli trade unions, he simply will not speak to Israel. Well, he so, said this week that he has. He said, he, I have spoken to people, uh, members of the Knesset. Of, of course I have. But of course he has. But although the Jewish members follow the Knesset, is a democracy. Israel's a democracy. There are people in the Knesset who represent a wide range of people. He may well be speaking to people who reflect his views. So that's the first thing. I'm a bit concerned that he doesn't sit at a table with the Jewish Labour with the Israeli Labour Party, the Israeli trade unions. And the other thing that I think is a bit worrying is his support for the Palestinians. And nobody can doubt the Palestinians need support. But he's a bit limited, isn't it? He doesn't support gay rights in Palestine. Mm. He doesn't support women's rights in Palestine. He doesn't support human rights but in Palestine. He doesn't support yeah. free elections in Palestine. Well, how, how, how do you know all of that? How do you say that with such certainty? He doesn't support gay rights in Palestine. He doesn't support because women in he Palestine. Because he know about it, because we'd have it. Because he doesn't... I, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll get deluge of people telling me... No, it's not a deluge. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely asking you the question, because you say it with such certainty. And I think one of, the, one of the things with this debate is that people are saying things with such certainty and attributing beliefs to sides. Well, and all I want way. to know is where does it come from? Where in does your... In the absence of the, of the conversation, in the absence of Jeremy Corbyn saying that despite my support for Palestine, I wish they had free elections. I wish they had free... free democracy. I mm. wish people in Palestine were able to turn out and march against Hamas as the Israelis turn out and march against their mm. government. Okay, alright Diane, thank you very much indeed. 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Um, it has lit up on Twitter and on email. You're welcome to come through to this programme whichever way you like. Uh, Stephanie says, having failed to peg Jeremy Corbyn as a communist spy, his press detractors have now settled on portraying him as, anti, as an anti-Semitic terrorist sympathiser. They're hoping enough mud sticks to scupper his party leadership. Judy Ann says, it's not a question of being unlucky. When someone is a victim of an organised smear campaign it is not bad luck it's that the people who control the press are desperate for Britain to continue to be run for the few 
so they can carry on dodging tax and taking public money. Alan Marshall says, I have no detailed knowledge of this IHRA definition, etc. But if we're not allowed to engage in reasoned critique of such statements, they become set in stone like the US gun law constitutional amendment. Debate should not be quashed. Let's take another call on this. Jenny Manson is calling us from Norfolk. Good afternoon, Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Hello. hello, Hi. hi. What did you want to say? Well, I wanted to say quite a lot um, of what Abe has said before me. I, of course, I didn't know who was going to be on. I'm co-chair of Jewish Voice for Labour. Um, a couple of points, though, immediately on what's been just said. Um, the first thing I very much echo, IHRA um, is not set in stone. It's not something from the Bible. The definition, which has been adopted by uh, the Labour Party and by uh, um, the NEC, is rather a weak definition. It doesn't work in law, which is why there's been um, several legal opinions on it. And, and, and it needs beefing up. It's not strong enough. The examples, however, were just guidelines in a press release. But can I move on? Because I think but You can in a moment. Up. You can move on in a moment. As long as, as I can put before you the fact that there are a large number of, of Jewish organisations yes. in this country and internationally who say it is a perfectly good yes. uh, definition and one that yes. safeguards... Um, well, against the kind of okay. ugliness that people okay. are worried about. Well, I suppose it's because I don't like going into attack immediately, but the, my attack is this. The whole value of the IHRA guidelines to many, many Jewish organisations is they don't want Israel to be criticised too much. Now, they're very happy, as your first speaker said, to say the simple things that Israel does wrong. What they won't accept is that it's not anti-Semitic to go further than just saying the Israeli government is doing wrong. In other words, I'm not going to say to you now that Israel is an apartheid state. It's arguable. What is apartheid? What are they doing? A lot of Israelis, however, are making that parallel, and they are not called anti-Semitic for doing it. What's really worrying about the treating IHRA guidelines as if they're something biblical, as I mentioned, is that it's, it's, it's worrying people who want to discuss Israel, and they think they have to use a special language. It's not Islamophobic to complain about a Muslim state, and it should not be considered anti-Semitic to criticise Israel. It is anti-Semitic if you if you do it in an anti-Semitic does, way. Okay, and is, does the Labour Party have a problem with anti-Semitism, or do you say no? Actually, there is no problem here at all. Um, nothing to I, see here. I, 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 the areas, as Rachel Maskell mentioned evidence. There is actually evidence that there is less in the Labour Party than than some other parties. And there's funny enough, well not funny, there's less now than there was a few years ago. However, there is some. It seems to be, I haven't met it myself in the Labour Party. I've been challenged on this several times, but I haven't. And I've been a member since I, a party, a member of the party for nearly 50 years since I was a student. I have never heard anti-Semitism in a Labour Party meeting. However, on social media, which I don't do, some horrible, disgusting things are being said, but whether these can be always um, linked to members of the Labour Party is very doubtful. Okay. And what I would like is social media to have a much better filtering method. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I won't draw you on the Jim Sheridan thing that's just I happened, and you may not agree, yes, which is why I said I won't. But but just, just one final thing before I let you go. Uh, there, there has been an awful lot of, of fug and fog around what happened at that wreath-laying ceremony. Oh, um, First yeah, of I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, so I, I would like to know just a very I, direct like question. That, yes. okay. if, he, if Jeremy Corbyn had laid a wreath on the graves of those who are purportedly uh, said to have yeah. connections with Black September, would you have had a problem with that? Uh, I think I would, but he didn't. So can I just tell you very mm. quickly? Okay, you know that he went along with a Conservative a, a peer and a Liberal peer. Mm-hmm. They happened not to have gone to the wreath-gathering ceremony, but according to the Liberal peer, I think it's Lord Phillips, he said it was just chance he hadn't gone along. 
they went along specifically to lay wreaths, I gather, on the graves of the uh, members of the PLO and uh, Tunisian civilians were blown up by the Israelis in 1985. When Corbyn was first asked about this, I know a little bit what he feels like, by the way, because quite a lot of us are getting quite a lot of cross-examination on things that happened every minute of our lives. Um, he couldn't remember whether there were other reeds being gathered, being laid at the, on that on that day, and they, whether there were they, whether there weren't other reeds being laid on other graves on that day. It was absolutely nothing to do with what the peace conference was doing on that day. They were laying reeds, as I say, okay. on them. And and you probably know that when the PLO headquarters was blown up in 1985, it was condemned by our conservative, I think, government at that time. Yeah. It, was, it was condemned by the UN. It is, it's kind of guilt by association. Something else might have or might not have been okay. happening in okay. the territory. Okay, thank you very much for your call, Jenny. Um, again, uh, let's take some of these. Twitter, I'm against hate crimes. So what exactly is happening to the Jewish community, which is not happening to other communities also receiving hate? Or is this all about rewriting anti-Semitism to shut down the world criticism of the Israeli regime and the Israeli government. Uh, that's from somebody who calls themselves Grumps uh, on Twitter. Another one here. I don't believe that Corbyn is an anti-Semite. He, his uh, real failing is um, as damning for someone in his position, namely a total lack of leadership. A lifetime of rebellion against authority is not good training for exercising authority. Corbyn has proved incapable of leading his party and should return to his former role uh, in the awkward squad that's from julie uh, another one here it is not corbyn's role to bring countries together he is the leader of the opposition and if he could focus on the uk for a bit instead of student style gesture politics maybe maybe labor would be doing better says blush unseen let's take another on this pete walker is calling us uh, from church stretton hello hi there hi that's in shropshire is it yeah it is all right nice talking to you tell me what you want to say um, well, I think that uh, it's been clear from the earlier comments that um, it's a, you know there is an element of different sides trying to um, discredit James, um, Jeremy Corbyn, and you know we got to recognise that that is going on. But I think as an aspiring prime minister, um, it is important that we do hear his views about issues. And a big concern of mine is that I think he is very partisan towards um, the sort of, you might say, revolutionary kind of causes, which is not surprising because of his long track record of being is sympathetic. It, is it, to is it revolutionary, though, to say well, that he, I mean, if I he's sympathetic the to the Palestinian cause, is that immediately making him a revolutionary? No, I, I, I mean, that may not be the, the, the best word, but what I'm saying is that I think he rather, he very uncritically, it seems to me, embraces... Um, these sort of um, terrorist type of organizations, the, the so-called freedom fighters, basically the bloodthirsty murderers like Hamas and Hezbollah well, well, and he numerous would, well, other he would, organizations. He would, I mean, he has said this week, look, I don't, yeah. I talk about the Palestinian people. That is very, very different. I'm not, he's, he has said on numerous yeah. occasions this week, I am against bloodshed. I'm a man of peace. And when I talk about these people, I'm talking about the Palestinian people. Well, indeed, he, he can say things like that, but I do think that many of these things do ring rather hollow. Why? Because when it, it comes to that particular situation, I have never heard him criticising um, groups like that, where he's, whereas he's always very quick to condemn Israel and talk of it, you know, in a, in a way as though it is a kind of um, 
some sort of militaristic regime that's bent on kind of killing people, and that is not the case at all. I mean, I've lived there and I've followed the situation for a very long time, and that is not true at all. Okay, but if he criticizes the behavior of the Israeli regime, and if he says as government, a democratically uh, elected government, well, you can't criticize a democratically elected government. Well, I, I'm not saying that you can't, but I think that um, when you see the level of criticism and the the tone of it, the very condemning and the hateful tone which comes from many people against Israel, you realize that that really does count as a kind of phobia and irrational mm. hatred. I mean, we we often have people labelled as uh, this, this sort of phobic or the other. But I think an irrational hatred of Jews, and particularly Israel, um, is very evident among many people. And I think that Jeremy Corbyn is inclined to fall into that camp. OK, Pete, thank you very much. Uh, another one on this, and then I know a lot of you want to talk about uh, rail uh, and the difficulties being faced recently. A rail fare increase of 3.2% in January. Um, is that justified in light of the recent troubles, timetables, fare rises, etc.? But just uh, one last on this. Uh, it is a text. The Labour Party is trying to encapsulate the anti-Semitism row in the definition, and it goes far beyond that. The issue is not of adopting the accepted definition. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Vile murals, posts and tweets are ignored by the leadership, and that implies tacit approval. In addition, Jeremy Corbyn claims to be a pacifist. You cannot be select a selective pacifist and support violence when it comes from terrorist groups. It has to be all or nothing, says Amanda Dweck. Uh, right, let's talk about rails, because unions have been uh, furious this week, uh, reacting to a suggestion by the Transport Secretary that annual pay rises for rail workers should be based on a lower measure of inflation. Uh, let's just take a step back and just look at what's going on with our rail policy in this country. How could it be made better? And how have you been faring forgive the pun, with it all. Uh, Rob has called us. Um, hello, Rob. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Happy to call you just Rob because you, you are a railway employee. We just don't want to identify where exactly because you might get into trouble. Um, tell us exactly what's going on and uh, where the problems might lie. It's it's just an observation, really, in terms of the type of projects that um, are sort of encouraged to be delivered by rail franchising and that in order for a rail company to... Um, to deliver these really big numbers that actually they have very restrictive timetable scales in which to deliver them. Um, if you look at the infrastructure required to bring in new trains, um, you need depots, you need extended platforms, um, you need sidings. Um, and actually, lots of these things may not be known about until the franchise change happens. And so it brings some real pressure. And I think that's part of the picture that we're seeing with some of the disruption and some of the um, timetable changes which haven't quite gone to plan. Right. So is it just if you bring franchising in, you bring that in? That's just an inevitability? I think so, yes. I, I, I think there's potentially ways that you can take a step back and have a look at the whole picture um, differently. But I, I think it's a... Um, it's part of the picture of franchising. All right. OK, thank you very much. Let's talk to Steve Balding, who's calling us from North Shropshire. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, Steve. What um, do you want to say? Yeah, I sit on the uh, West Midlands Committee of Rail Future, the, the national campaigning organisation, uh, which uh, lobbies constantly for a bigger and better railway and for more investment in the railways. Mm. Um, what I'd like to say is that I am speaking in a personal capacity, um, but a big part of the problem is the um, not the ownership of uh, different parts of the railway as such, but the structure of that ownership um, and the interaction between the different parts of the, the industry, uh, particularly when there's disruption or when big projects run late or 
all the all the other problems that we've seen, which have contributed to uh, the recent um, you know, meltdown, as, as it's been called. Um, if all the players in the rail industry, network rail, and all the operators, and all the contractors, and the rolling stock stock owners, and so on, were contractually required to work together, particularly in the delivery of big projects and improvements, and particularly in times of disruption, then things would be far better. Um, there should be cheer, uh, clear lines of command when things go wrong, um, whether that's a senior person in network rail or a senior person um, in one of the operating companies. But um, there should be a defined command structure, particularly when things aren't going well. So you're talking about centralised control that will sit no, atop no, all no, of no, these franchises? No, should be a contractual requirement that these, these are the way things are going to happen and these yeah. are the way that the various players must work together. But because... don't they have contractual obligations already just to make sure their trains run and that people aren't too inconvenienced? And if they yes, don't, then they get financial well, penalties. Isn't that just sad? Management time wasted and a huge amount of money slotting around the industry in compensation, um, not, not externally, but within the industry. Um, if, for example, Network Rail has to close a line because uh, somebody has trespassed uh, or committed suicide uh, and been killed by, by a train, then Network Rail has to pay the various operators and everybody else lots and lots of compensation and then different operators claim against each other and so on. That's absolutely ludicrous. Um, Likewise, when upgrades aren't completed on time, then Network Rail has to pay lots of compensation to the operators and has to pay for all the replacement buses and so on, when, of course, once the upgrade is completed, that will be to the advantage of the train operators operators, because they'll have better infrastructure and they can run more and faster trains. So, you know, all the money slotting around and all the lawyers that are involved in the industry and all uh, the delay attribution officers that are employed by all the players in the industry to, to blame each other and to claim compensation off each other is a waste of resources okay. and a waste of time, and okay. it's a complete nonsense. Okay. The railways are um, structurally have to be a proper integrated unit. Got it. Integrated whole working together. Got it. Um, Got it. Got it. It doesn't matter so much as long as they are contractually required and and know that they have to work together as one. You've said that very clearly, Steve. Thank you, thank you. And and for everybody else. Thank you, Dave. Dave from Glasgow, um, patiently (laughs) waiting. Hi, Dave. Hello. Um, yeah, well, on the first thing, uh, quite interestingly, you, you won't, uh, one, one principle is you won't make money running trains alone. Uh, you've got to look at the railway as a holistic uh, part of the whole infrastructure of the country. Um, we have a problem in London that uh, uh, for one hour a day, you spend uh, you have trains filled to 200% of capacity and track used to the maximum, shifting half the popula- working population of Kent into central London and then taking back out in the evening. For the rest of the day, you've got idle assets doing nothing, which you have to pay for. So who's, who's uh, going to take the holistic view on this then? Um, well, we did have a thing called the Strategic Rail Authority, and we've mm-hmm. been having an interesting discussion on that. The uh, Department for Transport took stuff back in-house, and quite frankly, they don't seem to have the, the, the eye on the ball. Uh, I live in Scotland, and um, we had problems like the southern and northern meltdowns, but um, for comparison, between Edinburgh and Glasgow, 50 miles... We have four different routes. We've got resilience. Mm. Uh, we lost one route uh, because of a landslide. It didn't really affect the service seriously because mm-hmm. we had three other routes. London to Brighton, you've got one route. Yeah. If you go into meltdown, there's no resilience. There's no contingency. I completely understand. I mean, I think I've heard Lord Adonis talking about this the resilience uh, argument. Yeah. And just so, it, but are we talking about the creation? Just very briefly, because I've got another. Uh, we're talking about a creation of a super body that has we legislative powers. 
to... We want a long-term strategy and not this short-term okay. leaving about. All right, um, I was one of the people who pushed to get trains running on the Oxenholm branch, which were chartered in. Nobody thought of that. Okay. You know, they couldn't, couldn't run the actual trains, but actually you could grab trains from, and they did, grab trains from a charter company and just run on the track. Dave, thank you very much. Frank Gradwell, also on this subject. Hi. Well, I think you've got it in a nutshell amongst your speakers. We had a unified industry. It happened to be nationalised. It happened to be called British Rail. And at the time, I said that I didn't care what happened to the industry, provided it was an industry and not a farce that was what was created. And unfortunately, Messrs Major and Norris created a farce, and 25 years on, that's what we're living with. The Strategic Rail Authority failed and was rolled into government, into the DFT, which is headed up by one Mr Chris Grayling, who denies that he's in charge when, in fact, he is top dog. I live in Manchester. The shambles that has happened to our timetable has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, we've heard, a, we've heard a lot about it, Frank. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, rail fare increases are justifiable, says Dark Robin Rising. We have a really good new carriage. We have really good new carriages on some lines, more coming. Uh, John, though, says renationalisation of the railway would lead to years of stagnation in the industry, as did privatisation and nationalisation before it. Um, lots of thoughts coming in on that, but I do want to just squeeze in some of you on vaping. We had loads of emails on this. Should we be allowed to vape in restaurants? Uh, on buses in the workplace Martin Jones no why not Um, well I mean I speak as somebody who's had asthma all my life and in more recent years I've also got chronic obstructive pulmonary disease somewhat ironic since it's called smoker's cough but I've never smoked a cigarette in my entire life and cigarettes are probably the single biggest trigger for lung problems in me on an immediate basis I get problems straight away. Now, I totally applaud the attempts to move people from smoking to vaping and hopefully eventually mm. to not doing either of those things. What I'm very worried about, about Norman Land's report, and, and, and I, I see many good things in it, is vaping on buses, tubes, trains, restaurants, offices, other enclosed spaces I'm profoundly worried okay, Martin. about the effect on my lungs. OK, Martin. Rebecca, we've got 30 seconds for you. Do you agree? Yeah, I completely agree with the previous caller. Um, I think we'll be taking a massive backward step. I think that the smoking ban has been brilliant, has been very widely accepted, and I really don't see the need to go backwards. I think that non-smokers are going to be once again exposed to chemicals mm. which are being produced by others. Um, okay. You know, they're going to they're going to come home smelling of cherry vanilla air freshener okay. or All whatever right. it is. Okay. Rather than smokers, it does it use. Well, on it, listen on it in a waft of vanilla and cherry. Um, I have to leave it there. We've run out of time. What a shame. Um, thank you very much. Sorry if we didn't get to you. Same again next week. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Any Answers. Don't forget, if you want to hear any questions or you'd like to invite the programme to your venue, then please go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions. I'm Anita Arnand. Thank you for listening.